Hey guys, welcome back to Dan to Jet Podcast. I'm Martin. Yeah, I'm Dan. And this is a podcast where two Asian Canadians fit all the chopsticks and twirl the pens while gossiping about the latest fads. Who also just got penetrated by Daddy Ontario with a smile. <laughs> so folks, you can tell I'm already like, I'm cracking here because... Uh, Martin wrote this wonderful I, I, I intro. I didn't write that bit. I, <laughs> I, I didn't write that Just bit. Just want to recall that in a previous episode, we talked about Martin writing these bits. So, you I, know. I wrote most of them, but as you can tell, we, we did a little switcheroo today. I started first, I followed with Dan, who decided to write this bit. Uh, Martin, uh, Martin gave his, um, his <laughs> approval. So, you know. So, yes, we did get penetrated by Daddy Ontario, but we got penetrated by the vaccine. Um, I just got my second dose today, actually. Uh, you've gotten only one dose, nice. right? Yes. And unfortunately for me, I checked and I'm not eligible. Like, in terms of the timing, because you have to wait a period of time first, right? And I, it, isn't, it's still too soon for me. Isn't it 28 days past your initial injection? Yes. But I am, I'm not even at... Because I got it so late, I'm not even at the 28th. Oh, I'm close, surprising. though. Okay. Just checking the date now. Yeah, I am pretty close. I think I have about, like, a few more days, yeah. so to speak. But... But so yeah. there's congrats, like, congrats. Oh, thanks. There seems to be like so. There seems to be so much controversy around the vaccines, right? First, you I, have the I whole think unnecessary. Like first, it was cancel AstraZeneca, and then oh, you know yeah. you have now folks who who took the Pfizer slash Moderna, but they don't want to mix the two. Yeah. And my understanding, and you know, I have no scientific background to back this up, but I don't think there's any immediate or severe concerns for mixing the Moderna and Pfizer. That's my understanding. But, you know, your sister has a medicine background. Have you talked to her about yeah. it? Yeah. Actually, yeah, we have. We had a conversation about it. Um, so this is what I, I'm gathering from her. Um, yeah, there are no immediate side effects. At the same time, it's also because they don't have a lot of testing around it just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, there's no real bad side effects, but it could... If you wouldn't be cynical, it could be because there's just not been that many tests ran for it yet. Right. And I think that's how some people are concerned and why they might not want to mix. That said, I think there's also a lot of um, potsters out there who maybe misinterpret the information and misrepresent it to yeah. the point where it's just like, oh, this is all of a sudden a super bad thing. It's definitely going to kill you or whatever. No, it's just... There hasn't been a lot of testing for it just yet. Although there are more results coming out every single day. Yeah. And no, there aren't that many huge side effects or not, not any major side effects that I'm actually, I think that they're even aware of at this mm-hmm. point. So, you know, what? looking like, pretty good. I'll take any vaccine at this point just to get myself like, like, you know, get the ball rolling. Yeah, like on need, track. <laughs> if, if need be, where I need to get third shot, like by all means, I'll take it, you know? What was your first shot like? My first shot when I took it, I found what, what that was my, it? Well, it was it was the Pfizer. Um, the Pfizer. It was back in May, I think. Yeah, early May. And when I took it, my arm felt like I worked out for a day. Like I lifted a lot of weights and I felt that sore for a day, but besides that, no not much of a side effect. Yeah. How was your okay. experience? Well- that's good. Actually, it, mine kind of uh, surmounted to be about the same. I also took the visor. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like there's some soreness. Um, 
it just yeah just felt hard to move because i think the way you put it is, is quite just accurate yeah. where it just felt like you did a lot of workouts maybe shoulder workouts and then now you can't really lift your shoulder all that well yeah um yeah there were some aches uh maybe slight chills for me but nothing huge yeah and, and that was it it so, wasn't too drastic good. you know it was fine um, like mm-hmm. it wasn't even at a cold level no so i, w- I would say it's perfectly fine so do you have any like like you know coming from like us being like young younger millennials i guess like i forget what the range is for millennials but we're on the we're on the younger side i believe yeah right yep. do you have any, do you have any friends who are like hyper anti-vax i think we already kind of covered this slightly um in a previous pod but do you have any friends that are kind of our age where they're like against taking the vaccine at all I, I don't, uh, I guess, fortunately, most of my friends and friend groups are open to taking it and they're looking to, to take it when they can. I think a number of them already have their second dose, which yeah. congrats and was really good for them. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get mine soon. But like I said earlier, uh, I took mine a little later. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not quite eligible just yet, but yeah. soon to be in a few days. Yeah. So, you know, I guess you don't you don't have that situation I do as I do. I have a friend who still kind of refuses to get the vaccine. And oh gosh. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, now that I'm fully vaccinated, I guess I have, don't care as much in terms of potentially hanging out with him in the future. But you know, I'm just not sure. Like, I don't know. His whole his whole kind of mantra throughout this pandemic has been quite, uh, I don't know, quite selfish and kind of unrational. And I'm not sure if, like, you know, I was reading a post on Reddit where folks were saying how they see some folks in a completely different light, given the whole situation of pandemic, where they might not associate with them as much. And I'm thinking, you know, yes, they choose not to take the vaccine, but they're still not the same, like, they're not, they're still the same people as before the pandemic. And they're not exactly bad folks. It's just that the choices are not exactly very socially responsible if that's the right if that's the right word for it so like what do you think like do you like what what would you do if you're in a situation where you have a friend like post-pandemic now we're all vaccinated but that guy still kind of refuses to you know take that vaccine i think that's an interesting topic and i actually had uh a somewhat related topic uh that's kind of like that but to answer your question i i don't know I would really need to understand the place where he's coming from because like I'm, I'm open to being different and hanging out with people with different views on things. That's fine. But if it gets to a point where you're selfish enough to harm people, like really actually put other people at risk, then there's a certain point or a certain line where I'm like, I don't know if we can be that close anymore. Right. And that's uh, kind of where I am where with the guys like i still like him enough as a person um but the pandemic really brought out a side of him that i never experienced before and like i'm not sure if i would be willing comfortably and in good faith continue to friendship post pandemic so i think that's a gripe i'm like kind of like mulling and stewing at this point and I'm not sure what to think about it, but it's still, we're still a while away until like we're fully open, but we are definitely getting yeah. there. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's a question I guess we can revisit later on. 
Um, yeah. When I went to the clinic today, it was actually at a community center, and um, uh-huh. I'm not sure how folks are doing it around the world, but we in Toronto, anyways, we just open a bunch of uh, community centers, convention centers, and we transform them into uh, makeshift um, COVID sites. And you know it's overall COVID must... vaccination sites. Exactly. Not yeah. not not COVID sites. Sorry, COVID vaccination, vaccination sites. You're right. Um, <laughs> I must say, like I've never seen the health system so efficient in my life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we always say, "Oh, Canada, so amazing, free healthcare." You're right. You're absolutely correct. But if you should you knock on wood have to go into a hospital, you end up waiting hours for treatment. Yeah. And it's not a fun time. Um, yeah. But I must say, the cold COVID system, the rollout, has been really efficient. I walked in. Um, here's score center A, center B. I was in and out in like 40 minutes. Mm. What was your experience like? Yeah. Uh, for my first dose, it was it was just very similar. Uh, no wait time. Yeah, basically no wait time. I walked right in. I showed him my health card and whatever, all that stuff that's necessary um walked to so there was a gym i also took it at a community center that had a gym Mm -hmm. and so the gymnasium was kind of set up with um different stations and so they just pointed me oh you you go here i just went up got it sat there for my uh what 10 to 15 minutes or whatever yeah um and then i I left so uh definitely no crowds is everything was very spaced out um no lines and no weights um now granted i don't know just because so I took on a weekend too, actually a weekend, and I think around four so o'clock. So you'd imagine it might be busier around that time because it's a weekend, but it was fine. Um, not that many people, and and yeah. So I think it was my experience was pretty pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Something I did notice when I was at the uh, clinic for the vaccination site was that as I walked in onto on the board on my left side, a huge board, and they were advertising. In this site, in this clinic, we have these languages available. And they had like 15 languages across the board. You know, you have Cantonese, Mandarin, Punjabi, Italian, Portuguese, etc. I don't know if Portuguese is a language. <laughs> Portuguese is a language. Yeah, sorry, folks. You're going to offend all of Portuguese. Like, look, we probably <laughs> lost all of maybe one listener. <laughs> We're down from like 12 to 11 now. Thanks, Dan. Our one wow. Portuguese fan. You think you think all our viewers are bots anyways? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe there was one actual Portuguese listener or, or, or maybe half Portuguese listener yeah. in Canada that got offended and now they left us. Yeah. So anyways, looking at the board, I thought it was interesting <laughs> Because it was written all in English. So <laughs> I'm like, and, and for myself, I'm like, this is a great initiative. You are catering to a diverse, like, groups and communities. But if I am as, if I need that service in the first place, chances are I'm not going to be able to read that board. Nope. You know, so, I thought like. Service design gone wrong. I was that's what I want to ask you in terms of UX the user experience. I'm like, that doesn't seem yeah. very accessible to like no. Like great initiative, great intention, but I can't read that board if I did not speak English or read English. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh that's execution gone wrong. I I I'm betting that they definitely didn't hire a service designer to take a look and think this through. Um they kinda 
my guess is that just kind of haphazardly put things together. Like, yeah, let's just put a poster up for this great initiative, but didn't really think it through. Because you're absolutely right. Uh, how do you expect all these folks who might require um, assistance in a different language to read a fully English poster? Yeah. It was like a whiteboard, too. So, like, they could have, like, written. Oh, it's not even a poster. It's on a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like it, was okay. a, it was a massive whiteboard. I'm like, how could I have made this design better? And I was thinking maybe just write the language in its native kind of like, yes. characterization. That, that's it, really. They, they need to be able to, these folks need to be able to read it in their own languages. So just have, and it might not be the prettiest thing. Yeah. But just have like short descriptions in each of the languages so that at least people can understand it. Like it doesn't even have to be very comprehensive, right? Then maybe the argument is, oh, we can't write full sentences or just like whiteboard. But I can't imagine the word speak and then insert language here taking up that much space on a board. You know, it might not be grammatically correct, but I'm just thinking in terms of like Chinese characterizations. It's literally three characters speak Chinese, you know what I mean? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just, just list them out like anywhere, like so that people can at least get a hint, right? Yeah. But uh, not, again, not pretty. Might not be the most uh, pleasing or eye catching poster, but as long as it gets the job done, then uh, I think you can call that success. <laughs> yeah. Versus so, whatever you saw. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, again, I, I applaud the initiative. Like, you yes. know, having that many interpreters available or people who could interpret it um, for clients on the fly is fantastic. But yes. it, it it's such a moot point when I, as a client, who cannot, who cannot read English, don't even know yeah. this service exists. Absolutely. Um, and actually, it was, when I went, uh, there was a an older gentleman in front of me who was in a wheelchair. Uh, and thank goodness he had his, I'm assuming grandson or family member with him um, yeah. who spoke English because his English was not very good. And I think there was a time when his grandson might've been uh, just finished parking the car or whatever. He was not with the senior at that time. And so I saw the person at the front speaking with him and they were they obviously had a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally the, the grandson arrives and they were able to sort things out. But I, I was just watching and I'm like, should I help try to interpret? Um, they were speaking Cantonese and I so happened to knew Canon, uh, wow. Cantonese. Did you help them? But uh, I didn't because uh, I, I, well, I was getting my own things sorted out. And then when person. I looked over, I, I paused. Yeah, maybe maybe I should have jumped in. Maybe I should have, but uh, grandson came soon afterwards, and it was fine. But but yeah, like how do you expect folks? It's like I mean, look, Markham is a pretty diverse um, neighborhood and region, or oh. the GTA, I should say in general. You just, you just offended all of our Toronto listeners. How dare uh, you call it G- <laughs> <laughs> How dare you call the GTA Toronto? So our GTA. <laughs> area region whatever you want to word you want to use um we're pretty diverse in our culture and we get a lot of uh folks from different backgrounds and immigrants as well so you know like if if we're gonna offer a service and we're gonna try to reach as well we're not trying to reach as many people as we can we're trying to reach literally everybody then you better back it up with with the language and uh yeah Uh, i might sound harsh on the services being set up, I, I shouldn't be because, again, it's great effort, but yeah. come on. I think we could do a little better. Growing up, when our only experiences in terms of diversity and accessibility, 
Do you remember when you got forms from school that had to be brought home? Did you have like two sides to your forms or your your memos? It was like one side English for and, different language. Yeah, so it was like one side English and the other side like Chinese. No, really? Okay, my school did, and I thought it was interesting. But really, yeah, I think we talked about this in the previous pod where you know we grew up in we grew up in pretty like East Asian neighborhoods. At oh, least I much. at least I did. You know, and it was very South Asian and East Asian, like, you know, highly represented. So we had, like, in schools, we had these memos, like, double-sided, one-side English, one-side Chinese. I thought it was kind of interesting. I didn't have that that pleasure. Um, to my memory, everything was just was just English. Were you, are your parents <laughs> able to read, though? Yes. Yeah, they are. Uh, so, so it was fine. Like, we were okay. We didn't have any issues. But but yeah, like I could definitely imagine some some fair parents or some folks having having challenges with the uh, the language. Mm. But anyways, on to our topic for today. So at the time of recording this podcast, it is the month of June, which is also Pride Month. It is Pride Month, that, where all the companies suddenly turn rainbow. Indeed. So. Which leads to our topic for today, which is uh, virtue signaling and cancel culture. And just to just start off with cancel culture, uh, we did do a little bit of our own research. And according to a definitely official and super scientific article, Urban Dictionary, <laughs> which shall not be named, um, <laughs> cancel culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it be online, on social media, or in person. And it's usually due to some action or behavior that did uh, that is not socially acceptable. Yeah. So I think like cancel culture can be, I feel like it's so prevalent these days. Like it's in like every aspect of our lives. It is. And when we grew up, I feel like it was less so i feel like folks got away with more i'm just thinking back to friends for example that show was like the hypest show during our time (laughs) and there were definitely a lot of jokes that would not fly all the gay jokes you know that would definitely not fly in today pride month especially so cancel culture i i I like how you start off with back when we grew up so first of all i we did not grow up in a environment or society where cancel culture existed, or at least not to the same level as today. Like, I didn't know what cancel culture was. I think the first time I heard it was around the time of under, my undergraduate degree, which was, I'm going to say, over five years ago now. That You heard it that early on? I This is not... I've, a, heard, this I've a, heard whispers. This is not a concept I've heard, like, heard tossed around until, like, a year or two ago, mm. you know, this is this is very very recent for me. I I think it definitely did have a big surge uh, in the past two three years, um, just simply because of what's going on on the news, uh, what's going on with um, in celebrity culture as well, uh, and prominent figures who have uh, said or done something that was not accepted. But but just going back to the beginning a little bit, uh, when I first heard about cancel culture, right? To me, it sounded very much like a positive thing. 
So if politician or celebrity X or director X, I think the first time I heard it was in association with kind of like the Me Too movement. And it was with a director whom uh, apparently had sexually assaulted or mm-hmm. harassed a lot of his employees, mm. whether on movie sets or in other uh, environment situations. And so he got publicly shamed for it when those women came out and told their stories and reported him. And I thought, wow, that's terrible that he was able to get away with so many things because of his status and his power, which he clearly abused. So yeah, screw this guy. I hope he gets screwed. I hope he gets fired. I hope he gets shamed. I hope he loses his wealth and his job and all this stuff because he has ruined many, many lives. Mm. Yeah. And so I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dan? What was mm-hmm. your kind of first initial take on it? Yeah, I'm just mulling on this now. And cancel culture for me is a kind of more recent phenomenon because there's platforms with a huge access, well, to, who has, which has access to a huge audience, right? Snapchat, YouTube, Instagram, Social media, social medias with a huge followings where you have millions and millions and millions of people following the same people spreading the good word. Um, you're right. I th- agree that cancel culture has made things like many things rather more politically correct across the board, whether it's in our education systems, our politicians, the way society runs, um, and even how content's created on YouTube and whatnot. I, you know, I listen to po- I listen to different podcasts on my spare time on my walks, YouTube channels, and this term like comes up from time and time again of cancel mm-hmm. culture, where everyone is too scared of mm-hmm. s- saying anything that's remotely controversial um, because they're afraid of being canceled in a sense that they will lose a huge, you know, number of following. They get a huge backlash, yep. right? And I think it's all this is made possible because of, again, these platforms where you are able to be confrontational against somebody without being confrontational. Yeah. Right. I'm just you're, thinking about our... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's like, well, essentially, you're hidden behind the safety of your computer monitor and your keyboard, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. I think that's a great point because uh, while... I did initially think that this was a good thing that um, society can recognize and kind of depower or take the power away from these individuals who are doing these terrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, As with just about everything, every good thing humanity gets its grubby little fingers on, we've abused it and we've turned it bad. Mm -hmm. And that just feeds directly into your point where now everybody's afraid and people have taken it to, what I think is is another level mm-hmm. where I can't even say it's a positive thing anymore. I think there's like two sides of it, right? Like, w- like I think our perspective, again, we're like younger millennials, our perspective on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, our perspective is not representative of everybody's. And this is, again, part of the fact that I even Definitely. have to say that is part of the whole like cancel culture movement because what I'm saying does not necessarily represent everybody's like you know all the yeah. communities and that might offend somebody if i say something that does not resonate with somebody else right 
So I think cancel culture has done a lot of good, right? We've taken people who have been historically toxic, who have abused the power. We have made society safer for many people, right? There's huge, there are huge ups, you know, upwards movements of, you know, of feminism, right? Speaking against toxic masculinity, right? Men are more free to be more emotional while still receiving a lot of backlash, certainly. Uh, But we're definitely seeing more acceptance of it. We're seeing queer culture becoming more accepted as well, right? During Pride Month, where it's become like kind of universally accepted that you have to be okay with it or else you'd be canceled on the same coin, right? So I think cancel culture has done a lot of good to progress groups who have had their voices suppressed for many generations. Um, so I think there's some, there's a lot of good that comes with cancel culture because you've made, you've made society a lot safer for many groups of people. On the other end, you know, I think because it's such a new movement, there's no clear boundaries, right? As to what should be considered canceled, what should not be canceled, right? We're seeing a lot of things that are misconstrued. You can't express your own opinion on anything without like scrutiny. And, you know, if you're going to put something in public, you should be ready to be scrutinized. Even for ourselves who are putting our voices out there, I think I'm ready to be scrutinized. Not to say like, you know, attack us. That's not what I'm saying, but I understand. <laughs> I understand. Don't attack us, please. <laughs> I understand Don't that. Don't actually attack us. But I understand like why it happens. But I think on that end, the negative side of cancel culture is that like we've become such a safe society or not safe per, per se, but our mouths are so zipped that it feels like we're kind of rewinding a little bit. We are. I, I would agree with that. I, I think what was once used as a way, a means to have suppressed voices heard, whether from you know uh, queer communities or from women who've been oppressed, we've taken that method, which is cancel culture, and we have turned it up so high that nor well i use air quotes here but normal and regular everyday folks are now walking on eggshells wherever they go and wherever they speak because they don't want to be canceled now mm-hmm. right i was uh, i watched the youtube video earlier this week and i'm trying to even remember the details but there was a guy making a joke about uh, animals it was a video game based video but they were talking about a dumb animal on the show and they were it was a chicken they're like wow chickens are dumb and then he pauses and he's like wait uh for all the animal lovers out there i didn't really mean it but am i am i gonna get canceled for this because i called chickens dumb because that, that like and then he goes on about how the chicken's dumb yeah. and, and the fact that he even like he said in, in as as a joke but like the fact that you need to worry about saying something like that is i think puts a question to my mind have we gone too far like are we now super tight-lipped and have to walk on eggshells because the slightest thing we say could upset one group of people out there or another yeah i I think like i think that's the whole thing in terms of that right you can't there's you can't joke at all anymore everything has society has to be serious a hundred percent of time in order to be politically correct because part of joking is that there is some detriment to some group Right, that makes a joke. Right, 
Um, and you kind of have to cater to every single group. Which I think this is where why millennials, which is us, get called snowflakes. Right. Oh. <laughs> Arguably, I don't like we are part of the driving force of the snowflake movement, as we would call it. And again, a lot of positives. Like I appreciate movements in some ways because I benefit as well. But yeah, like I think there is some degree of truth when you know we're called snowflakes because like I think it's hard to say anything without some folks getting upset by it. For example, like, you know, the common thing for for folks to say, I say folks, right? But a lot of people say guys. Oh, and yeah. plenty of, I'm sure there are a good number of people out there who say, wow, guys, how dare you? So anti, anti, anti-feminist. So I don't frankly mind saying folks. That's just in my vocabulary, but I know that's not everyone's vocabulary. Yeah. I think for the longest time since I've remembered, I've used guys. And yeah, like it's not out of, any kind of offense towards women. I'm not trying to demean them, but that was, it was just, it was a phrase. It was a saying, right? But the question but is, definitely. Sh- should it should change? Like, should, like now that we're more woke and that we're, we need to be more inclusive, woke. Sh- do you think society needs to change guys? And like, we can start, with, we can start as being millennials, right? A lot, I know plenty of us who still use guys in everyday language, right? Girls included, who will say guys, even though they're referring to a group of mixed genders or however they identify, which is another thing too, right? I don't know how some people identify, right? So anyways, so like, what do you think? Should we, should we as millennials adopt this change where instead of saying, uh, using anything that's remotely gendered to something more gender neutral, to, to be on the safe side? I I think I'm open to that. But for me, I think it would depend on the groups of individuals I'm interacting with in that moment. Um, if I know I'm in, with a group that doesn't really care, I'll probably be a little bit looser with those type of terminology and vocabulary. Like my our mutual group of friends. I'm pretty sure I've used guys only half, maybe a half a billion times. Yeah. And I don't think they care. So... I'm not going to be too worried in that kind of scenario, but maybe in a more professional environment, say in like a workshop with uh, individuals whom I've never met and I don't know the preference, then I, yeah, maybe I will be a little bit mm-hmm. more careful and say folks or yeah. some type of more politically correct vocabulary yeah. instead. I definitely use it in my workplace. I definitely use very gender neutral things. And if I'm working somebody over the internet, like interact with somebody, and I don't know the gender, like, I don't care if their name is Kelly or Nancy or Drew. Like, I I now have a tendency of just saying hi or hey uh, or they, etc. When I address them in email, etc. Um, I find that I'm less likely to assume their gender because I'm not sure how they identify. And I think it's helpful. I think because if you remember Chris from our previous pod... Mm-hmm. What he does is that he makes a Zoom um, name with his gender pronouns attached to it. And that's really oh. helpful for me. And I think that's like, you know, that's one step forward to helping with the, with the communication piece so that there's less opportunity or fewer opportunities um, to offend somebody. Um, but I think folks who would potentially be offended should be like, 
I don't want to victim blame. I think that's where the conversation might be leading. It's like you should communicate, you know, uh, what how you want to identify. But there's, you know, you can also counterpoint me and say, hey, you know, you're victim blaming here. How dare you? Why should they have to do all the work? So I think like it's hard to it's it really is hard to find a balance. Even right now, we're trying to talk about it, and it's hard <laughs> to come to a compromise. It is. Uh, I, I think it's it is a touchy subject, and. I'm going to say, uh, again, in my own opinion, I feel like there is a part to play on both sides. On one side, the person themselves or that group themselves could maybe point us in the right direction and maybe suggest your own pronoun, your preferred pronoun. And on the flip side, the other group should be more willing to open their minds and be accepting of these preferred pronouns. And it's because there's a give and take, right? It needs to... It needs to happen from both perspectives. Otherwise, if it's only coming from one way, it's just not going to work. Have you found that as technology gets better, we have more ways of communicating with each other that arguably we're getting worse at communication with each other? Yes, right? because absolutely. All, because all of these things that we're <laughs> saying that, that would improve and help prevent people from being offended and helping us be more educated and informed... All of these things come with communication, but I I am finding that as more tools become available, the less likely or less able folks are with like in terms of communicating with each other. I find it tough to, for myself to talk with other people in terms of having a conversation about a more serious topic without the other person becoming overwhelmed. Yeah, I do tend to agree. And I think we also discussed this in a previous episode about yeah. how communication has been harmed or uh, disrupted because of advances in technology that enable things like social media. And this is by no means, I think, their initial intention. I think yeah. the all, all these CEOs uh, and creators of these apps and services, their idea was to help people connect around the world. But... Uh, as I mentioned before, people have a tendency to take something and abuse it to the point where it's no longer helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the case. That's exactly the case with technology here. They've taken it and uh, they've used it to empower their laziness, so to speak, mm-hmm. or to make it worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And overall, I just think it's like with growing populations around the world, you know, wider access to different people, globalization. It's hard to please everybody. Let's take Pride yes. Month and virtual signaling for a second example. You know, more and more and more companies, every company across the board who's like who has a name out there turned their icon rainbow. <laughs> you know, I think oh, yeah. you're, you're talking about LinkedIn, I think, at some point. Yeah. Um so and this is a great segue to virtual signaling, but yeah, before we get into defining what it is, just in the past few weeks, I've been on LinkedIn a lot more, and there has been a wave of rainbow icons. So for those of you who don't check out LinkedIn, each company can post their logo or their icon next to their, their act, the name of their company. And yeah, every single company now, rainbow, 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 everything. Some companies have a, I'll admit, have a nicer rainbow icon. Some have ones that are a little less identifiable for various reasons, but nonetheless, they're all rainbow now. And 
I think in a way, again, it comes from a good place where they're trying to show the support for Pride Month. But I think questions come up now where how much effort are they really putting into it? And is it really genuine? Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, jumping back to virtue signaling. So let's, let's define it first for those of our listeners who might not be as familiar. So again, from a perfectly official, scientific, best article in the world, uh, the sharing virtue signaling is the sharing of one's point of view on a social or political issue, often on social media in order to garner praise or acknowledgement of one's righteousness from others who share that point of view or to passively rebuke those who do not. Thank you, Urban Dictionary. (laughs) From a source that is definitely official and correct. (laughs) (laughs) Politically correct. Politically, definitely, of course. Why would Urban Dictionary ever not be politically wow you're you're gonna get canceled martin hey if i'm gonna get canceled that means you're getting canceled too buddy (laughs) okay it's gonna be dan's podcast now on (laughs) what no no chance no chance anyway so virtue signaling yeah so i think the i think the problem with it is not so much every company's turning rainbow i think we all agree i think spreading the goodwill in terms of the queer community is great I think what yeah. is not so great is are these companies profiting, capitalizing off of it because of the whole like movements, right? If they're donating charities, are they getting a, are they benefiting, I guess, right? Are they getting a little bit, are they getting a tax break? Yes, you might have a rainbow flag, but are you doing more, right? Are you contributing to communities are you changing policies within your companies to be queer friendly, you know, or is it just simply, yeah, uh, rainbow flag, we love the gays, uh, but that's it, you know, we're not gonna change any policies to support, uh, for example, queer employees, policies that were suppressive or oppressive uh, historically, right? I think that's a problem with it is that it's it's such a superficial, easy way of recognition without actually doing a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, they're, they're bandwagoning, essentially what it is. It is just a social trend that uh, some companies, I'm not going to say all, but some companies just try to get behind on a more shallow, shallow and superficial level, as you mentioned. And I think that's my, my personal gripe with it. I'm, I have a thing against both people and organizations and companies that are not genuine, right? They are two-faced. And a lot of companies out there are great. They're actually taking active steps, creating these uh, social programs to help improve, um, you know, maybe uh, gay communities or have policies to help reverse or to detract from these um, past offenses and, and policies. So mm-hmm. they're taking steps to improving their company, their culture, uh, society in some way. And that's great. But there are others who simply just throw the paint on, throw the rainbow on, and just pretend that they're supportive and they're great, but have really made no kind of effort or showing in some way to improve themselves. Mm. And so to me, that that just screams like they're just jumping on a social trend to look good, mm. right? They, they just they, they don't want to be the one that looks bad because you can get canceled. So you got to look good. Let's, but ha, sorry, go yeah, ahead. I would, say, I would say let's take example of like Skittles. Right during Pride Month, <laughs> Skittle all the Skittles turn white, 
right? They don't have the purge of it's all very color, interesting. right? Because their whole thing is that this month is not about us; it's about you know Pride Month. So we're gonna eliminate all color on our Skittles in order to acknowledge, you know, Pride Month. What do you think? It's it's very interesting because, I mean, I think long before I identified the rainbow colors as a symbol for the queer and, and gay community. I remember Skittles, their slogan was taste the rainbow because they had all these different colors of candy and that was it. So, but, but now you're simply just taking all your colors away for white. It's almost sending the, at least to my, in my mind, it's almost sending the opposite message. When we take away all the rainbow, all that's left is white. <laughs> which, which, like, what does that say? <laughs> Pro white on the inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? Which is, I don't think that's what they're going for, but I think it's maybe a mismarketing in that sense. Yeah. But, and I haven't done any kind of background research on the Skittles or are they, are they Nestle? Are they under Nestle? Anyways, I have no go idea. With, go with it. I, I haven't done any background research on the company, right? So for all I know, maybe they are taking uh, great steps and creating programs and and other type of benefits for the community but to to from my knowledge just changing your colors isn't isn't saying that much right especially if you change it all to white Uh, to me it sounds like they're just jumping on a bandwagon and they're just making a very surface level thing for and it's it's essentially just a marketing campaign really they're just taking advantage of pride month to market Skittles in yet another way to get hopefully to people to buy them. Yeah. I think like, so here, so there's, there's one aspect, right? It's all for a lot of companies, brands, especially in the food industry, it becomes a marketing thing, a marketing opportunity to sell more product. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we spoke to someone before about Chipotle, right? Yeah. So Chipotle is partnering this month with several notable drag queens, such as Trixie Mattel. You don't know them. That's fine. So Trixie Mattel, got Mick, who is a trans uh, drag queen as well as kimchi. Um, and they all have such a bowls and burritos cater to them where if you buy this product, this burrito or bowl, a dollar will go to their chair to their charity of choice. And we've, we've both spoken to somebody and, you know, he was adamantly against, you know, Chipotle doing this because at the end of the day, it lines their pockets because, you know, um, and it's a marketing ploy where it's like, oh, yes, you're, you're just you're just encouraging people to buy more products, but it's not necessarily helping the community. My, my counter argument is that while they could literally just spend all the money and do, in a donation, a direct donation, I'm like, you know what? Like, this is a dollar that probably wouldn't have made it to a community, even if it is lining the pockets of the corporation more during this month. I feel like... So, like, I'm going to be honest here. I feel like every single corporation will not do a single thing. They will not lift a single thumb if it doesn't benefit them in some way. Yeah. And so, with that in mind, I feel like this is kind of, I wouldn't say as good as it gets, but it, it's something that's more more possible. And it's something that can actually have some real benefits. So, if they can benefit themselves, which I'm... Like, okay, it's it's the truth. It's the uncomfortable truth. <laughs> Companies will only try to benefit themselves. But if at the same time, you can help benefit that those charities and some community that needs it, then, you know, it's it's not ideal. But hey, 
at least there's some help and some good being done. Definitely. And so I could get behind it. Plus, you could argue if you're eating at Chipotle then and you're giving them your business and your money, then you're supporting them anyways. <laughs> yeah. So the, the only difference to a lot of consumers, and it's true, I think, for a lot of people, uh, everyday people and folks as well, donating seems like a hassle. Right? It's like, oh, I got to go find the organization. I have to figure out how, uh, how to get the, the tax receipts right and, and all that stuff and then it just all these are all barriers for them to actually donate and contribute in some way so if here they have a very easy way just buy lunch like normally would but now instead you just pick maybe a different menu option and some money goes to do something good then it's easier for most people to actually donate as well because the barrier of entry is very low it is something that they do on a day-to-day basis anyways which is buy the lunch you know i didn't even think about the whole like barrier to access, and I think that's yeah. I think that's an aspect that I don't usually think about, and but that's a very good point, right? It's like it's very easy. I don't have to change my routine, but I'm contributing to a community that might not have received that one dollar, even though the company might reap like the eight other dollars mm-hmm. in exchange. You know, what do you think of Chick Fil A? That's a controversial one. So I absolutely am disgusted to hear how a company or the owner of a company could speak so publicly against a community and a group of people. Like when he made an announcement saying that he is openly against them, like people who, whom he doesn't, like he doesn't know whom have done no harm to him, that actually disgusts me on like another level. At the same time, I've heard their chicken is good and I do want to try it. 100% transparency, folks. I've never had it, okay? So, okay. I haven't, but do I want to try it? Yeah, like if, if some place has good food, I kind of want to try it. Yeah. Uh, but just not not to jump back on um, cancel culture, if someone sees me walking by it and even going towards the door as if to open it, I would feel embarrassed. Like I would feel like I have to wear a hood or a hat on because I don't want to be associated with that. Like, I, And I say this only somewhat jokingly, it's I, I do feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? If I actually even go to reach for the door of that restaurant, I would feel uncomfortable after after hearing about all these news. So, like, do I do I just have to like Uber Eats it in private <laughs> now? <laughs> because I wanted I just want to try good chicken. I like fried chicken. Yeah, um, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was listening to a podcast and it was interesting. The question came to how much of that chicken sandwich that you order. How much of it actually gets contributed in the form of a donation to an organization that is essentially fucking, <laughs> for lack of better words, uh, queer folk around the world? It might not be a lot, right? But at the end of the day, your intention is not to screw over queer folks around the world. You just want chicken, right? Yes. So the question is, are people right to shame you? And I don't, honestly, if you want a chicken sandwich as your friend who is part of the community, like, you have my blessings. By all means, go ahead, go, go, have, go have your chicken sandwich. I don't know. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I'll feel less, less bad now. <laughs> if I ever okay. go and you, you have my chicken. blessings. But like, okay, so, but what do you think, should you, do you think people should be shamed for making the no. choice of having that chicken sandwich? No. But do you think they're justified in shaming you for having that chicken sandwich? 
so so those are two different questions with two different answers. I, I do see why. Like if uh, let's not use a restaurant or food as an example because food is my weakness. But let's say let's say there's a I don't know TV program where the director said some homophobic shit. Right? He made some homophobic comments, and maybe he's even acted out against the gay community in some way. I am more open to not watching that show ever. Like, just because I'm like, this guy's an asshole. I'm just not going to watch a show in effort to not support you. I'm okay with that much easier than it is, again, for food for me, because food is my own weakness. So I, I can see why people might shame those who want to try it because you're supporting this terrible person who made these terrible comments. At the same time, I I think I don't think it should be as harsh as it is because at the end of the day, that individual who just just wants to buy some food, they just want lunch and just want to try a good chicken sandwich. If they were not someone who's, you know, acted out against the gay community, who's done, you know, violent things or aggressive things, who's they've essentially done nothing wrong, they just want to get lunch, then maybe we can inform them of what's going on, but but that's it. Like you don't need to shame them for trying to to buy lunch. <laughs> I think that's it, my personal point of it's view. It's interesting that you bring up TV shows as a comparison. I think you're willing to abandon that particular show because there are better shows available. Yeah, I think you're less likely to abandon the chicken sandwich because there is no better alternative. Until I know. So if if I tried it, right, and again I haven't tried it, but if I tried it and I realized, you know what, Popeyes is just a ton better. Yeah. Then I can openly, wholeheartedly, one hundred percent support abandoning Chick Fil A. But I think for me, it's just the curiosity of like, oh, it could be a really good chicken sandwich. Then I, I kind of want to try. This is the thing. Like, I think like I'll, I think I'll give everyone a pass to have Chick Fil A once. It's like, look, yeah. have the chicken sandwich. See if it's actually that amazing, okay? And I think like if it's like nah, it's okay, it's good, it's just okay. I can find a, a comparable sandwich elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's fair because then you 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 can try you tried it once and you said okay, yeah. I tried it. I don't have to wonder anymore. Now I don't have to give it any more business, yeah. right? I think that's fair, right? Have, um, just so you don't you don't like deprive yourself of your chicken sandwich, <laughs> like. I, I think it, just to be the devil's advocate of myself, sure. like, do I really need a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A? Like, I can get a chicken sandwich from elsewhere. So I can. that's why I can see the argument from the opposite side. Yeah. Um, but as a side note, have you tried it? No. I, like, I, I'm not, like, a big chicken person anyway. So, like, I think that's the thing for me, right? Similar to your uh, cinema kind of, like, kind of reference. It's, like, it's there. It's available. It's just not something I would, I just, I have to consume. Right. Mm. I think anything we consume in terms of like food has a lot of repercussions. Like Chick-fil-A's for the gays. Think about that. All you can eat sushi restaurants has like huge, huge repercussions on like our aquatic life. You know what I mean? Like we're getting mm -hmm. overfished like no tomorrow. Anything we consume on a level is like bad for environment. Yeah. And and even just about like meat in general, right? Yeah. I, I have a number of friends who choose to be vegetarian because the production of meat is actually killing our planet. Like the amount of resources needed 
to raise a cow from like a baby calf to a full-grown adult cow, right. either milk it if it's like a milking cow or butcher it for meat, process that meat like in the factories or whatever, all that produced to huge amounts of waste yeah. and usage of fossil fuels. Yeah. And so if you actually want to you know, contribute to the environment and the planet, uh, stop eating meat is actually a viable option. Yeah, I think the, that's. I think that's one of the best ways to have the smallest carbon footprint is by going vegan. <laughs> yes, and yes. like I think uh, I think that's the thing with like Chick Fil A and anything else. Like if you have the audacity to judge others and shame them publicly about what they're consuming, you better be ready to like reflect upon everything that you are consuming, right? Yes, I am from the community. Yes, this might go against them because I'm saying I'm okay in Chick-fil-A, which I'm not, right? I can see how it'd be construed that way. Yeah. Again, cancel culture a bit here. But like, it's like, you, you can judge if you want about, about Chick-fil-A. I don't blame you because I think there's a lot of hatred and a lot of, you know, reason why you you want to feel that way. But also, want, I also challenge those folks to think about what everything else you're eating. If you're eating meat, you're contributing to a huge issue as well. If you're consuming sushi, you contribute a huge problem. You know, do you like eggs? Those chickens are shitting out those eggs. Like, you know, it's not it's not pleasant. So you better like I think like if you're gonna judge others for their food choices, I challenge yourself first to challenge all of your food choices as well, right? Before you cancel somebody else. Don't and, be a hypocrite. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, right? And I think it's, I, I think it's just with cancel culture in general. You know, if I, if I call, you know, you have every, you have every right to shame me for something you disagree with. Counterpoint: If I call you out on your behavior because I don't think it's that great, don't take offense to it, right? Same thing. If you can throw it, you better be able to receive it as well. To the normal cancel culture, I know I'm having a conversation. I know what you're supposed to, but. Okay. Would you still wear? Do you still plan on wearing your mask post fully vaccination? Yes, me too. I think <laughs> so. You first, and then I'll give you my point on it. Yeah, I think I think the mask. Well, th- first of all, I I would think and hope that different cultures and societies around the world, besides East Asians, which already wear masks long they before, do. that's right, Western yes, cultures did, but. I would like to think that they have learned from this pandemic yeah. in that, hey, it's really easy to spread diseases around. Yeah. So maybe out of the considerate for those around you, if you have a cold and you still need to go to work or need to go to a highly crowded public place, wearing a mask might not be such a bad idea, Yeah. which I don't think it is. It was just simply not the norm here. But I think, and I would hope again, that people are more openly accepting of it now. It was, so yes, it was neat for the East Asian cultures because like they wear a mask whenever they're sick so that they don't spread disease. Yes. Is it interesting? Because like when you recall of your experience in like elementary school as like a young millennial, and I'm gonna keep bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was sick, because you know my my folks were hyper anti skipping schools. Like I don't care if you're going, if you have like a hundred degree fever, you're going to school. You're not missing a day of school. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure if your folks were like that. Oh, yeah. But mine were like hyper anal about that. So like, you know, I think in grade seven or eight, I got so sick at one point that I just had to put my head down because I was just like, I was so dizzy um, yeah. that I couldn't really like function. And I think the teacher recognized that. And then she's just like, you know, I just like let him be. 
yeah. <laughs> maybe he should like take this one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, it's and obviously in in, in retrospect, like. If I was my adult self in front of me, I'd probably put like a astronaut helmet on top of myself, you know, with a, with a, with a private like Seal it. Yeah. like aeration system. Like, here's your private oxygen tank. Like, don't don't breathe. <laughs> yeah, do not spread your air and and contaminate the other air. Seriously, other right? And like, it's so it's so interesting that in Western culture, like you know, you have kids like wiping their nose on their hands and like like putting it on doors and slides yeah. and monkey bars and touching other kids just straight up kid. like hand and face <laughs> yeah i mean there's not saying that you know oh if you, you know you want to get kids sick early so they build resistance you know rub a little dirt in that wound yeah i i've heard of that but like you know or, or you cannot like yeah. they'll get sick but you don't need to purposely expose them like, they're wonder, gonna expose themselves. I wonder if it's gonna be a new norm where when kids get sick, we start to wear a mask. My guess is no. I don't think so. Once this is over, I don't think masks are going like for that reason. People are still gonna wear masks, not because they're sick and I should probably wear that mask, but because back to cancel culture is that I don't want to be associated to being an anti-vaxer. Oh, uh-huh. that's an interesting perspective. I would actually hope that schools and I, we're picking on kids specifically because I think every I'm not a parent myself, but I have cousins who are. And we all know that once your kid gets sick because they touched like half a billion other kids at school and one of them had a cold, then the parents get sick and then it just sucks for the whole family. Yeah. So given that, I would hope schools are more encouraging, uh, especially, you know, like younger kids and kindergartners who don't know any better to actually wear a mask when they're not feeling well. So. It, would you say that schools be overstepping then? You know, it's like, you should, you can't tell my kid what to do. You know, this is my choice as a parent. If I say you don't have to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. Unfortunately, there's that more political side of things, but I would hope that... So again, this is where I go back to my point about it has to come from both ways. I think schools should encourage it, and I think parents should be more open and receptive to it. Because it it benefits them themselves it benefits the parents and it benefits the kids little Susie ain't gonna catch a cold from little jimmy because they actually touched the same crayon at school like you know like it, it helps you in the end of the day does the mask actually harm anybody so if we look at it now right like there's some situations where there's black and white right like and then there's some situations that are gray where it's like eh, it's not perfectly good there's some good and bad to it i think masks or one wearing of masks when you're sick is pretty white, and I don't mean white in the the racial way, but as in it's canceled. There's very few downside. Like, what is the downside to wearing a mask when you're sick? Hashtag Martin's canceled. <laughs> oh, it's over, guys. It's been nice knowing you. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, this marks the what? I don't know. Twentieth episode. Yeah. Uh, rip. But like, here's 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 a here's another perspective on it. You know, equity okay. has become more of a hot topic in recent years we say oh just wear a mask just if you're sick wear a mask wear that mask and i bring forward the equity piece what if i like we have a luxury of buying disposable masks it adds up for us it's not a lot of dollars but it could be a lot of dollars for a like a family who is a little bit more impoverished right and you can say oh why don't you just wear a reusable mask and you yeah know, that's my rebut and those aren't that expensive, especially after the pandemic. You, you also have to wash a lot of that, right? 
you know, again, just do you be, wash your clothes? I do, but it just requires more resources. It's more resources. You know, I have to spend soap, water on it. So it's just an additional cost. You know, for myself, it doesn't matter because we both make enough that it's not an issue. But for a family that's, you know, not doing as high, it adds up. Like every penny counts. Where I think, you know, there's definitely families that, plenty of families that live paycheck to paycheck. And any additional cost just puts them further down the like poverty line. Well, I do agree with that theory in principle. I feel like if you buy a cloth mask and you just throw it in the washer, like, or I, I, maybe you can't afford a washer, right? Maybe you have to wash your clothes by hand. Even so, like rubbing a little piece of mask compared to rubbing like or cleaning a pair of shorts, I'm pretty sure the mask takes significantly less effort with the same bucket of soapy water. Yeah. So you have that water. You're gonna use that water regardless. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really digging deep into the what ifisms. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like it, it really, I really am. So I recognize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you like, know, what if the families already have food stamps, can't even afford food? Are masks really the priority? You know. So these are all like yeah. again, I think that this is all where the whole can like cancel and like awareness and being woke is all about. It's just considering all the what ifs, and yeah. that's a, that's a whole difficult part about it, right? As as our needs become more diverse, we start to recognize more needs of different groups of people. It's hard. It really is hard to cater to every single family. Does that mean we should let them fall through the cracks? I don't think that's the solution either. But it's it's hard to th- complain about everything but not have a viable solution, and which I think is where we're at. We're just complaining about every single initiative out there but we're not offering nothing else to the table. Chipotle, you're offering your your collaborative drag queens. Shame on you for for profiting off of the queer community. Okay, good for you for pointing that out. What alternatives do you have? And more often than not, I feel like we're gonna have nothing brought forward. And so after this long discussion about like virtual virtue signaling and cancel culture, I think my final thought on it would be. Like with everything and like with most topics, I feel like this is a really boring response, but just take it with a grain of salt and just just consider it. Not all of it, it didn't start off bad. It didn't it start off very positive to me, actually. But we have a tendency, again, to take things overboard. So maybe next time for you listeners and for myself as well, I, I've, I've been I'm open to acknowledging that I've made mistakes about, about cancel culture, virtue signaling as well, about judging too quickly. But just take a pause and think about it. Is it necessary? Uh, is it going overboard or is it justified? Are there better solutions? Or maybe in the lack of better solutions at this current time point, it's kind of the best of what we've got. Not perfect, but with regards to virtue signaling specifically, maybe it's we, we can... Uh, make use of this option or the solution for now while we continue simultaneously look for better options. Just some of my thoughts. What about you, Dan? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think cancel culture has done a lot of good for, for, for humanity. Sometimes issues just aren't, issues just aren't that deep. And <laughs> truly, like, like yeah. issues just aren't that deep. And it only becomes an issue when you make it an issue. And maybe that's a little bit too Hakuta Matata of me, but I feel that's, that's, at least that's for me, like, that's kind of a general, like, 
that's kind of one of the, like the more popular ways of going about life. Just like Kuna Matata, you know, yeah. just live, just be happy. I think YOLO. For, yeah, truly. I think that's such a, that's such a millennial thing, right? Just just be happy and like you know, like life is depressing. I think we. I don't think there's many. I think many millennials our age understand that life sucks at this point in time. Life is hard, as it is. It's not easy. We got bills to pay, mortgages to pay for. Weddings are now like two hundred grand a piece. You know, cars are like really expensive. Everything's expensive. Like, we have enough to care about. There's, we, honestly, why make life more difficult for yourself? You know, issues aren't that deep sometimes. Yes, be mindful when you can. But honestly, take life one step at a time. You, you live longer that way. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think those are great words to end off this episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening once again. Definitely hit us up in all the social medias that you can find at the bottom of every episode, which we include in the description. Which we will hopefully um, start using at some point. <laughs> so right now, they're I guess they're all dead ends. <laughs> you click on it, nothing happens. Which is terrible from a UX perspective, but that's another topic. But thanks so much, guys, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you guys next time. See you folks. Bye-bye.